0: Well, hello again, everyone. This is John White hosting the Rural Matters Podcast. Um, the Rural Matters pa- Podcast is growing rapidly and becoming one of the leading podcasts on rural education, health, and the economy in rural America. And today we have a really timely uh, topic of discussion, and I'm really happy to have with us um, an authority on rural health policy, someone who I worked with when I was at the U.S. Department of Education, and that is Tom Morris. I want to thank Tom for joining us today. He is the Associate Administrator for Rural Health Policy within the Health Resources and Services Administration at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Tom, you certainly have one of the longer titles in rural America. So thanks for joining us.
1: John, thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So people can listen to this podcast on iTunes and Google Play and many other places where they find their favorite podcasts. So please share with your friends how to listen to Rural Matters so that you can uh, share more information about rural schools, health, and the economy in rural America. And certainly send us your uh, your suggestions for topics by email at ruralmatterspodcast@gmail.com at gmail.com. So again, Tom, thanks for joining us. And I just want to kind of dive into the conversation today about um, rural health policy and that intersection with education. As you know, and as you've taught me, there are so many rural health issues that cross over from the community into our schools, into policy from the federal government down to the state and local level. Can you just begin by talking about some of the rural, the unique health issues, health care challenges in many rural communities? Communities today and the disparities you see.
1: Sure, John, and, and um, yeah, I think most folks are familiar with the fact that rural areas um, struggle to attract uh, clinicians, physicians, nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and and those are are long established. Um, what's been interesting in the last ten years or so has been some emerging disparities um, in in terms of uh, life expectancy and mortality that. Um, For many, many years, uh, those rates were the same in rural and urban areas. But beginning in the late 1990s and then uh, diverging pretty significantly through the 2000s and into 2010 and beyond, we've seen that that rural Americans are dying at an earlier age and at a higher rate than folks in urban areas. Um, And then new data from the Centers for Disease Control um, shows that uh, rural Americans tend to die uh, what are called potentially excess deaths. In other words, these are deaths that uh, could have been avoided, um, you know, had there been uh, an intervention, so to speak. And we see that across a number of disease states. Uh, The the number of excess deaths for heart disease are 50% higher in rural America. For cancer, um, uh, we're we're seeing significantly higher uh, rate of death, Uh, 50% higher for unintentional injuries, and that's where the opioid crisis comes into play. Um, but also, for diseases like chronic lower respiratory disease, um, uh, that's fifty percent higher uh, in rural areas and and um, you know I think it speaks to the variety of challenges that rural communities face. Um, you see a link between lower educational attainment and 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 lower health outcomes. Um, we know that that being in a stressful situation from an economic standpoint doesn't benefit health. And so when you bring all the things we know about the challenges of rural health care delivery, whether it's lack of access to care, both for primary care and for behavioral health, or whether it's fewer providers or having to travel longer distances or having higher rates of chronic disease, uh, ultimately they all manifest themselves in the fact that that rural Americans um, are dying younger. They're dying more often. Um, and they're dying deaths that, that, if we had the proper resources, might be avoidable.
0: So talk about that a little further, because you're right. I've seen um, studies that have shown lower education levels uh, often manifest themselves in, in shorter life expectancy, and obviously with, the, with less access to health care, you have uh, shorter lifespans as well. Talk about that crossover a little bit. And what it means when we say that education can be part of the solution in rural America?
1: Sure, and I, I think it's a link we 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 know exists. Uh, you can control for when you conduct research, and yet there's a lot we don't know. But but clearly, um, you know, and this is true for both rural and urban areas. That uh, the more educated you are, the, the 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 better your health outcomes tend to be, and a part of it is just. Uh, uh you know maybe just awareness of of being able to manage conditions like diabetes or heart disease um but then we also think about the, some of the tough jobs people do um uh in in many rural communities whether it's mining or agriculture or or heavy labor and you know these things take a toll on folks uh over over the course of time and so you know i think that um we look at a lot of uh americans who feel displaced by uh, economic conditions and, and some of the challenges they have, and we know that if we can, you know, work with communities to help improve their educational outcomes and get folks to graduate high school, to graduate from a community college or a technical school, or or maybe even move on to college, um, you know, they're going to have a chance at, at at more meaningful work and and a chance also, I think, for better health outcomes. Um, but I think there's a lot more we need to, to know to understand those links.
0: So talk about the need to bring attention to these disparities because, as you know, rural issues are oftentimes not in the headlines and the research in on many rural topics is thinner than uh, the research overall. What do we need to do to bring more attention to these disparities?
1: I think attention is the first step. I, you know, my office has, uh, and my agency, the Health Resources Services Administration, we've long uh, funded rural health services research. And so a lot of the data that I talked to you about earlier is was not necessarily a sor- surprise to us. We've had studies that indicated some of these uh, findings for years before in terms of life expectancy and mortality. Um, uh, and, and I think that... that you know, we've understood the higher burden of chronic disease in rural communities. Um, What's been great in the past year, though, is that our colleagues at CDC, at the Centers for Disease Control, have undertaken a rural initiative of their own. And um, they're the leading public health, uh, you know, agency in the country. And so when they focus on an issue like um, uh, potentially excess death rates being higher in rural areas, um, it really brings attention to an issue that is so critically important. Um, they published a series of uh, almost 16 reports through their Mortality and Morbidity Weekly Report series um, that have gotten attention and been in many of the major publications in the country and uh, public radio and, and uh, so that we've created, I think, greater awareness of some of these health disparities that exist in rural areas. And I think the first step is awareness and bringing attention to it. And um, I think if you ask the average person, you know, that, uh, about the fact that you're 50% more likely to die in an avoidable death due to heart disease or 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 chronic respiratory disease, that would be a surprise to them. So, bringing attention to it, making people aware that these disparities exist and that they're geographic in nature, um, then helps. I think policymakers think about, okay, well, what are we doing, and and how can we target our approaches to perhaps um, you know have a better chance to get in front of this, and so. Um, We've been working very closely with the Centers for Disease Control and um, later this year we're going to undertake an initiative with the National Governors Association and work with five states to take on these leading causes of death and and why they're higher in rural areas and see if we can help work with the states to identify ways to reduce risk. I think this also fits with um, a lot of the work we do at HRSA and my agency in terms of taking advantage of getting folks into regular care at community health centers. At using the National Service Corps to make sure that we have clinicians in rural underserved areas, um, and then the CDC has a very interesting initiative um, around taking the the, the um, what they call 618, where they they take um, some of the disease states that we know are are particularly challenging, and one of the science you know based um, approaches that you can take to sort of turn those metrics around. And then how do we link that to payers and leading public policymakers so that we can make sure that we're taking evidence-based approaches towards addressing these rural health
0: disparities? That's so important because, like you alluded to, many people ha- may have the, um, the image of rural America in their minds that it's, a, you know, it's a, a tranquil place, that it's beautiful, which it is, that the air is cleaner that it's just this, you know, this untouched paradise in some places, when in fact, in many places, it used to be a vibrant community or a vibrant economy. And perhaps the population has changed or dwindled. And it's in many places, small towns have sort of emptied out, And the environment has become more difficult.
1: Yeah, I think that's very true. I mean, there are still very many places that are tranquil and beautiful places to live. And they're great places to bring up a family. Um, And yet they face some real demographic challenges, I think, in terms of uh, young people leaving. And that leaves you with an older and and sicker population in many cases. Um, Sometimes these places are dependent on one industry. And if that industry leaves town, um, it often creates a lot of economic challenges for those communities that, that, that make it a bit challenging. Um, and so it really does vary uh, from community to community, um, and yet we've seen some communities really take these issues on and, and work creatively to diversify their economies and, and do the sort of things that focus on, on improving health and health outcomes in rural communities. Um, we'd like to bring a, find a way to bring more attention to those issues, and so um, we know there are some proven strategies out there, and I would encourage folks listening to the podcast to Take a look at the Rural Health Information Hub, um, where we try to spotlight a lot of the approaches that I think work and work well in rural communities, with the hope that perhaps we can replicate those in, in other communities. Because I think rural communities um, they, they learn from each other, and um, and 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 the more we can do to sort of make sure that we're leveraging those examples, I, I think is important. Because um, you know, I don't. I think sometimes rural America is is out of sight and out of mind, and um, you know, we may not be aware of some of the challenges they're facing. So part of it is, you know, empowering communities, I think, to take control of their own situation. But part of it also is making sure that policymakers understand um, that sometimes there are unique challenges to rural communities in which that uh, we may need different solutions than what might work in an urban or a suburban community. Uh, you know, one of, the, one of the challenges that my office has had, I think since it was created, is reminding folks that you just can't take an urban model and force it into a rural community and expect to have the same outcome. And so how do we, how do we change some of our approaches to make sure that they work as well in rural communities as they will uh, as they do in urban? And that's not specific to healthcare. I'm sure you saw it during your time at the Department of Education. Sure. Um, and it's just one of those things, I think, that as, as folks who work in rural, we need to make sure that we continually remind folks about that dynamic.
0: Sure. And so that's a good point. Where do you... At the federal level, how do you try to get the information down to the local level, and where should people turn for information? What web, is there a website you maintain, or is there information at the state and local level that they can look for? How do people find that information rather than try to reinvent the wheel?
1: Well, I think from a, um, uh, from a healthcare perspective, a health and human services perspective, um, when they created our office the, the, the Congress was pretty smart in the sense that they felt like there needed to be a national clearinghouse for rural information. And so we've created that at the University of North Dakota and the Rural Health Information Hub is 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 a great source of information. But within that that uh the that that website, we also operate the, the rural community health gateway. And my office funds uh you know, we usually fund about two hundred to two hundred and fifty rural communities a year to try out their ideas about ways to improve access to and the coordination of healthcare services in rural communities. We take a lot of the lessons learned from that, and we put it up on the Rural Community Health Gateway. So, if you, if anybody would just Google Rural Community Health Gateway, um, you'll see a number of models that work, uh, examples of approaches, as well as toolkits and resources uh, that can help folks uh, do that. The other thing we're doing is, is partnering with the, the philanthropy community. I think that um, there are a lot of um regional and state philanthropies that are interested in doing more in rural America. Um and for those that are interested in healthcare, we have the Rural Health Philanthropy Partnership. And what we found is that many times we we're working in the same communities and, and there's more we can do working together. So we've looked at a variety of ways to share information with them, to take their lessons learned and make sure we get that up on the community health gateway. We've also looked at, at ways that we can combine funding. And so right now we have some Uh, combined funding uh, in some clinics in West Virginia uh, through the Benidim Foundations and the Sisters Health Foundation. And we're doing a similar uh, effort with Empire Health in um, eastern Washington where we're able to put some federal money in and then have that matched by some foundations to to really expand the impact of of some grassroots community health uh, improvement opportunities.
0: That's excellent. And can you uh, just email me a link and I'll put it up on the podcast so people can go directly to the, to the um, rural health resources that you have online?
1: Sure. I'd be happy to do that, and, and uh, I think it'll be a good resource for folks.
0: Excellent. So we're about halfway through our podcast, and I just want to remind um, our listeners that the National Rural Education Association and the Center for Rural Affairs both are our marketing partners. They're great resources for information on education, but also on health and the economy in rural America. The next thing I want to do on today's podcast is sort of transition to the important topic of health and the economy in rural communities, because just like with um, education being a primary employer in many rural communities, so is the hospital and the healthcare system. And young people in particular need to know where those opportunities, those cutting edge career opportunities are in their community. So can you talk a little bit about sort of the national landscape as you see it? When it comes to rural health care and career opportunities
1: sure, no, I think it's a really important issue um, because i I think that uh, there are a lot of uh, people who grew up in rural communities um, you know who uh, you know if they had a viable career option would like to stay in those communities, be close to family and and raise their kids the same way that they were raised and and I think there are also some folks who are looking for uh, that sort of lifestyle who maybe didn't grow up there but might appreciate it. Um, but it's not going to work if the jobs aren't there for those folks to to, to be able to live and and to thrive. Um, and so you mentioned the 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 role that health and education play in a in a rural economy. And invariably, if the if if the school system's not the number one employer in a small town, then likely the hospital and the related healthcare folks are. They're usually one or two, or at least they're in the top three. And um, you know I think that that uh, especially from the healthcare side, there are quite a number of careers um, that are still growth areas. If you look at any of the data coming out of the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, invariably the growth sector tends to be in um, uh, the highest growth sector, tends to be in healthcare. And there are a variety of jobs, uh, whether it's in nursing or in being an x-ray technician or a phlebotomist or or, or, or a respiratory therapist um a lot of these are jobs that require uh you know a 2 year associate degree and uh, offer a very competitive salary and and the community colleges the technical colleges that train these folks are really the lifeblood um for rural hospitals and rural clinics to be able to recruit the 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 clinical staff they need in order to provide care in their communities and so um, you know, I, I can't emphasize enough the, the, the need to make sure that the high schools are identifying those kids that would like to get into those fields and then also that once they get into those fields that they then get a chance to rotate back through a doctor's office or a nursing home or a clinic um, uh, and get that rural experience because then they might get recruited to those positions. And And the interesting thing about some of those degrees, especially nursing in particular, is it, it, there's an opportunity for a bridge um, um, to, a, to a higher level of, of career also. So you might start out as an associate degree nurse, uh, but many many hospitals and, and communities would like to see you go ahead and get a bachelor's in nursing and then maybe either become a, a nurse practitioner or a certified registered nurse anesthetist. And um, most rural hospitals are completely dependent on those folks for a big portion of what they do. And so if you can start out at the community college, we see some neat neat models emerging where you can then use distance learning to get your four-year degree and then maybe an advanced practice degree and never have to actually leave that rural community. And so I think the more we can do to promote those models and make sure that people see that there is a chance to get started in those careers, the better. I think about veterans returning from service who might have been, uh, 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 you know, med techs or or, you know, folks who are already working in the healthcare field, they've got a lot of training, and so what can we do to get them into becoming either yeah. physician assistants or nursing or or maybe even they want to go back and become a medical student? Those are all opportunities, I think, moving forward. And so, you know, making sure that we have important relationships between healthcare providers and between technical colleges, community colleges, and four-year schools um, is really important. I know for, for my agency, the Health Resources and Services Administration, one of the big points of emphasis for the coming year um, will be making sure that as we put funding out to support the training of nurse practitioners, uh, dentists, uh, physicians, physician assistants, um, mental health providers, we want to make sure that when they set up to do their clinical rotations, because a big part of what they do is put their what they learn in the classroom to work in a clinical setting... Um we want to make sure that as many of those as possible are are getting exposed to training in a rural community because the more likely you you're more likely to stay in a community if you're if you get a chance to train in that community and you can appreciate uh the dynamics of that community and so that'll be a point of emphasis for us and all of the grants that we fund at Hersa um for professional health profession education in the coming year.
0: You're so right and and those are often some of the higher paying jobs in rural communities too I might add. And um, when, you, when I was the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Rural Outreach at the Department of Education, you and I went places just as the health IT career field was emerging and the whole transition from paper record keeping to digital record keeping was taking place. Talk about health IT and some of the emerging career fields that are in. Uh, rural communities that young people need to know about.
1: Yeah, I, I you know I think that um healthcare is a little late to uh, uh IT in the digital world um and yet they're they're making up for the lost time I think, you know. Right now you know, there are requirements that physician offices and hospitals all have their uh, electronic health records in place and that data is becoming increasingly important for um use in terms of of making sure that they're, that hospitals and clinics can target um you know the the population they have they now have more information about the population they're serving than they ever had before and that's an important tool for clinicians if they find out that they've got you know majority of their health of the 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 patients in their practice are diabetic um you know that it's much easier to get that information now out of electronic health record than it ever was in a paper environment and yet for a lot of rural hospitals and clinics um you know it, the ability to mine that data, the ability to maintain those systems is being done by existing staff. And I think that as we continue to be more reliant on, on, on the, the health information technology as a key part of how healthcare is delivered and uh, that we're going to need that next generation of folks who really know IT, who have those sort of backgrounds in software and hardware, um, and they're going to be a key part of the care team moving forward. And so we think about displaced workers um, and some of the money that comes out of the Department of Labor uh, for the health innovation, I mean, for the uh, the, uh, what what is basically the state workforce funding. You know, a lot of those displaced workers may find opportunities in the IT field, uh, both in working for healthcare providers, but perhaps also working for the software companies that, that, that are developing the products that go into those communities. Um, I think that we're, we're still trying to figure out the business model for that, that hospitals, who tend to be financially challenged anyway, are trying to figure out how they can uh, build in this extra expense, but they also realize that they can't afford not to. Um, and so we're at a very interesting uh, flexion point, I think, in that reality. And one of the things that I think that might work for rural communities is whether they might be able to share IT. Um, in other words, you may not have enough for one hospital to do it, but if that hospital also worked with the public health department and a couple of local clinics in the nursing home, there might be enough demand to create that job. And so um, it may be that rural communities could really show the way in terms of being creative about how to finance these positions. There's certainly a growth field, and yet we have to make sure that we, we think about how to structure those jobs in a way that takes into account the unique realities of rural communities.
0: You're so right, because when we talk about the need for doctors and nurses in rural communities, just like the need for teachers in rural communities. Someone who has lived and grown up in a rural community is more likely to be the person who stays uh, once they see an opportunity. They're comfortable in that environment. They want to stay near their family and friends, as opposed to try and bring people in from the outside who may have never lived in a small town or a community and may see see it as isolated. They're just not familiar with the area. They don't have family and friends there. So oftentimes, if we invest in the people who are there, who are looking for opportunities, they're more likely to stay. Wouldn't you say that's the case?
1: Oh, definitely. I think that the, the, the growing your own has always been an a, a important strategy for rural communities. Um, and even if they're not local, but they may be in the next town over. Um, but, I, but I, I think that it's part of taking control of your own situation and realizing that, you know, whether it's hiring teachers or clinicians, um, identifying those kids in high school and supporting them along the way and then creating incentives for them to come home and, and be able to build a life uh, where they grew up.
0: You're so right. So we're just about all out of time for this episode of the podcast. Um, Tom, I want to thank you for joining us again and for the resources that you brought to our listeners People who want more information on rural health policy or health career fields, please email us at the Rural Matters Podcast at gmail.com. We'd appreciate you rating this show on iTunes and telling your friends about it. The Rural Matters Podcast is produced by Michael Levin Epstein and Susan Sempelees. So thank you for listening. And Tom. For joining us. Maybe we can have you come back again on the podcast soon. That would be great. Thanks so much, John. All right. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day.